If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be an arcane mystery, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to why does Arcana identify and detect magic trip a lot of people up? And what are the distinct scenarios where each of these abilities can shine? And how do you give players the magic items that they really, really want? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So today we're talking about all of those cool spells and skills and abilities that really allow you to figure out what things are. Yeah, there's a lot of magic in this wacky world you're weaving, and somebody's got to be able to parse through it. Sift through all that magic shit and figure out what's what. Yeah. Well, where we run into trouble is these three seem to have enough in common that folks just kind of run on through. Like, they just roll through using all three kind of interchangeably. Yeah, like when you're out of spell slots, you just try to make an arcana check on whatever you need to know. <laughs> and, uh, what if I just sat here and made like 30 arcana checks in a row? Would I understand more about this magic item? Would I be able to cast fireball because <laughs> I made 30 arcana checks in a row? Yeah, I understand it now. I get it. <laughs> And even when the differences about each of these seem really clear, you know, in, in context, you're thinking about it and you're like, uh-huh, I get it. Then for some reason, when players actually get their hands on a magic item, now this is where it gets really easy to just go like, ah, I just arcana the hell out of this thing and I will understand its properties. Well, it's very similar to the feeling you get when you know you're trying to lose weight and you're holding a cookie. All logic goes out the window and you just want it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But you just <laughs> you just need it in your face. Are you uh are you currently craving cookies? <laughs> Is that what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. Most days. Also for the sake of DMs who want some ideas on how to handle these spells and abilities, and for players who want their character to be a magic pro. A lot of times I think these are passed up because they feel like dry, boring spells that are only used by the least interesting of wizards, but <laughs> there's still magic. You're an important character. And its use is critical to adventuring. But when you're sitting there trying to figure out what your wizard's going to take next, it's hard to get amped up about something like identify. When it's sitting on the spell list, on the wizard spell list, right next to burning hands. Like, burning hands sounds cool. <laughs> I want to scorch my enemies, of course. Identify just sounds like, what's this? <laughs> Holding it up to the sky. Yeah. <laughs> the DM, what's this? <laughs> so there are reasons that these spells exist. They're for very different purposes. And we're going to dive into each of these spells and abilities in a lot more depth to truly understand them and figure out how we can use them better. But before we do, 
I have a point I want to make about magical grittiness in your games. Fine, then make your point. Okay. I just want to make this because you might already be sitting there thinking, ah, you know, I don't really like this topic. I don't like these spells, and I think that you're dumb for talking about them. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Rather just... critical. Yeah, I'm pretty self-critical. But one distinction between play styles that comes up a lot is kind of that detail-focused play style where you're tracking things like ammunition and rations. And this adds a lot of depth and immersion for some players. Some people love it. Hell yeah. But it can be incredibly boring for other players. And there's nothing wrong with that. We see the magical grittiness as kind of like flowing into that category of gaming. And these spells specifically are kind of in that category. Yeah, like you're only going to need the identify and detect magic spells when your DM is detail-oriented enough to actually make them valuable and useful. Yeah, and if everybody is into that kind of magical detail in your world, but it's also totally fine to just say, you find a magic item, it's really rad, here's what it does. Fair enough. Then your wizard doesn't have to stalk these spells. But that wizard has every right to be a little bit chapped when it's that easy and the spells that they've invested in aren't being utilized correctly. Another situation where everyone should be on the same damn page. So, this episode is absolutely for both DMs and players because we've got some interesting viewpoints and some thinky bits that would help both. We're smirt. Schmert. On to Kinship Camp, where we'll talk about that. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventures around the safety of the fire. First, we have to recap these abilities and really get our minds wrapped around them. So we're going to start with Arcana. It's on your skill list. Your Intelligence Arcana check measures your ability to recall lore about spells, magic items, eldritch symbols, magical traditions, the planes of existence, and the inhabitants of those planes. Per the player's handbook. So, what does that really mean? That's like, just your ability to recall lore? Yeah, I mean, it's based on intelligence. It's how much you've learned about magic. Well, this could really help you when you do discover that incredible weapon of that named famous adventurer. But, this is dependent on the lore that has been documented on that particular weapon. So there's only so much to know, and some of it may have been lost to history, and some of the abilities might not be fully known to historians. And what if the item is completely unknown? What if it's never been documented or heard of before? So Arcana, in essence and in summary, is really just that professorly intelligence Ability to recall obscure facts. This is the friend that's great to take to Trivia Night. Yeah, and I mean, we need this skill in D&D because not all players have a deep knowledge of the lore that is in D&D or that you've made up. So <laughs> <laughs> you need to give him a bone with this skill. Then we've got Identify, the first level divination spell. It's got a casting time of a minute, a range of touch, Components are verbal, somatic, and material. A pearl worth at least 100 gold and an owl feather. Duration is instantaneous, and the classes are bard and wizard. You choose one object that you must touch throughout the casting of the spell. 
If it is a magic item or some other magic imbued object, you learn its properties and how to use them, whether it requires attunement to use, and how many charges it has, if any. You learn whether any spells are affecting the item and what they are. If the item was created by a spell, you learn which spell created it. If you instead touch a creature throughout the casting, you learn what spells, if any, are currently affecting it. So a couple of things that kind of jump out there. A 100 gold pearl and an owl feather, that's kind of a fancy... Yeah, how do you exactly use those in this spell, would you think? Um, I think you jam the pearl in the back of your throat and then tickle your nose until you sneeze it out. <laughs> it's funny because my mind went, you hold the pearl underneath your tongue like a pill and you got to wave the feather around. It's weird that both of us just jammed the pearl into our mouths. Yeah, that's magic. <laughs> that's how magic works. <laughs> 101. Well, the other thing that really jumps out to me about this spell is that it takes a minute to cast. And the casting is verbal. You're making noise. It needs unbroken touch. You have to maintain contact with the item. And so there's a lot going on when you're casting this. This is not like a run and gun kind of combat spell. This is, okay, give me 60 seconds. I need to really like dive into the weave and sense everything about this thing. Yeah, you're sitting with it for a minute. And so at its core, Identify is figuring out specifically what magic is going on with whatever you're touching. Well, and it's going so deep. Like, as you sit with this item, things are revealing themselves to you. Things like charges. Charges, how many an item may have left and how many it has total. Like, that's pretty specific information. That is the item starting to reveal itself to you and things that just nobody would know there is nowhere on this item that it is written how many charges it has left it doesn't have an ammo counter like a future gun and i think this needs to be done through a spell because yeah you can't really exposition this through a character or something like that it's just mechanics that you're handing over and this is the best way to do it this is actually where some recipe cards come in real handy as handouts Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you describe the item, and that's it. That's all that anybody in the party gets. But recipe cards come in really handy because you can hand over all of the mechanics and the description and the backstory even. If there's some kind of magical story that this weapon could even communicate with you in some way, all of that is handed over to the person casting the spell. Yeah. And not just said aloud by the DM for everyone at the table. This really puts that magic user in a cool position to reveal these things. Yeah, that's true. They have the power in game. Why not in real life too? And finally, we have detect magic. Casting time of one action. Range of self. Components are verbal and somatic. The duration is concentration up to 10 minutes. The classes are bard, cleric, druid, paladin, ranger, sorcerer, and wizard. For the duration, you sense the presence of magic within 30 feet of you. If you sense magic in this way, you can use your action to see a faint aura around any visible creature or object in the area that bears magic, and you learn its school of magic, if any. The spell can penetrate most barriers, but it is blocked by one foot of stone, one inch of common metal, a thin sheet of lead, or three feet of wood or dirt. Now, off the bat, I just want to say, 
I really personally despise the blocks that that introduces because if you're using those as a DM to thwart your player's spellcasting, <laughs> that kind of sucks. Yeah, didn't you come across some DM tip about how a magic trigger might be covered up by somebody clever with a piece of lead? Right. Like when you're getting that in depth to try and trick and fool your players into triggering traps, that starts to feel a little bit uh, petty. Is well, that the? It, it is, absolutely. And I think it especially is with spells like this because we've already discussed that if your players are stalking these spells, they've made a choice to pass up on some potentially cooler options. And then you're going to negate the spell? Let them have a win, man. Yeah. <laughs> This really feels to me like the magic version of a metal detector. Like you're at the beach kind of just walking <laughs> along. And I mean, you've got 10 minutes of battery life on this magic detector. Yeah. And you're just kind of waving it. You're kind of sensing. You're putting your hands out. You're trying to feel around for where this magic aura can reveal itself to you. Sniffing for the secrets of the weave, as they say. But it is a concentration spell, which means, again, this is not being done in combat. Because chances are you need that concentration for something else. Yeah. And I mean, the uses for this in combat are pretty minimal. Yeah. To boil this one down, it's the ability to sense magic in an aura around yourself. What does casting on yourself look like? Hands on cheeks. <laughs> Just slapping your own ass <laughs> or face. Okay. You went to ass. Let that be noted on the records. <laughs> well, is it like touching of the forehead or, you know, what is casting a spell on yourself look like? Or is it just an activation? Spells like this, I could see you don't literally need to touch yourself. It's kind of like you're always touching yourself. So whatever cool. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could see flavoring this kind of like. Scott Summers, Cyclops from X-Men. Like, you know, maybe it's a visual thing. Mm. These are some different flavor ideas that you can throw in there when you are casting Detect Magic. Are you putting your hands out in front of you and feeling around trying to sense the magic that way? Or are you putting your finger to your temple to try to see the magic auras as they jump out and become colorful or beautiful? Or are you grasping the edges of your nostrils and spreading them out so that you can no. smell the magic? God. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is upsetting. It's just a natural thing. Then there's the whole concentration aspect. So do you role play getting better at this, at keeping concentration? I know this is a bit of an aside because concentration exists in a lot of different spells, not just detect magic. But is this like a... Again, kind of Scott Summers hand on your temple, but you're like gritting your teeth trying to concentrate. Is this like you're making your hard pooping face? <laughs> At first, it gets easier as time goes on, you say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You you practice and holding concentration by the time you're like seventh or twelfth level is a breeze. Oh, yeah. You can concentrate and read a book at the same time, especially on these first level spells. Totally. Yeah. All right. So that's all three. And to reiterate the difference, just so that this is crystal clear, we've got Arcana is your knowledge of magic. Identify is knowing what a magic item does. And Detect Magic 
is knowing if there's magic around. So let's talk about how to really position these better in your game. Yeah, and how to make the characters that are using them feel like the heroes of the story in this moment. To make them think, oh, what a good thing I did by stalking this spell. Because like we kind of alluded to earlier, there's so much more to this than, hey, uh, yep, there's a magic item over there and this is what it does. Yeah, well, <laughs> we said that you can do that, fine. Well, sure, but if you want to add a little bit more pizzazz yeah. and a little bit more stank on it, let's stink it up. Consider using the Arcana skill only when it's absolutely necessary. So if we're talking about someone that's schooled in magic, like a wizard or a bard, they know all about the basics of magic in your world and exactly how it works to be able to cast it. So don't hide this behind a dice wall like... If they cast Detect Magic and the player isn't familiar with the school of magic, don't make them roll an Arcana check to get more information about that school of magic. That's like the most basic thing a wizard could learn. <laughs> they learned that in the first week when they were auditing the class. Yeah. They learned about the different schools <laughs> of magic. Jimmy the Sheepherd knows that about magic. <laughs> Let's hope that your wizard does. Yeah, there's no point to making them roll again and again and again to learn each and every new little thing about magic. Yeah, so when it's some obscure thing, that when it's going to be a cool fact for your players to learn, use it. But if it's just about how magic works, never make an arcana roll. Just tell your cool wizard. Yeah. I think we can allow the win for the magic detectors in your party, those that are stalking that spell. Those that have prepped the detect magic spell have the ability to really interrupt whatever you as the DM have been planning. Mm. Like a mystery or something like that. Magical traps jump to mind as like, oh, I've prepared this cool magical trap and this is definitely going to get the, ah, shit, somebody cast detect magic. There's that, or there's, in my mind, there's even more elaborate plots like, let's say you've got a doppelganger that's shape-shifting themselves as the mayor of town <laughs> it's always that <laughs> fucking mayor <laughs> yep and if they cast detect magic on it right when you're starting to ramp things up there goes the rest of your idea yeah so while that can kind of hurt be ready for it and don't throw those tricky shapeshifters or cursed items right in front of your party if you're not ready for them to expose the truth with a level one spell yeah and that's really where these players Get to shine. Yes. You throw locks in front of your rogue. You throw magic in front of your wizard so that they can use this skill to reveal all to the party and show how crazy useful they are. Exactly. And if you find yourself in this situation as a DM, robbing them of the win, it both cheapens their abilities and it kind of defines railroading. Like, that's what I think of as railroading, when you don't let the player's abilities change the story when they absolutely would. Yeah. I think that there's another cool opportunity to really make the Identify spell more powerful for your casters. And that is to include a few more cursed items. Yeah. Include things that don't immediately reveal themselves. So, for instance, your player's Find a magical sword. That's so cool. Now, it clearly is magical, 
we used detect magic to identify it. Holy shit, this thing lights up like the 4th of July. Of course it's magical. Now we pick it up, and we assume that it's a plus one sword. And the DM can even say, yes, this is in fact a plus one sword. Should we cast identify on it? Nah, it's a plus one sword. I'm going to start <laughs> swinging this mamma jam around and cutting some baddies down. Now, just throwing in a simple curse will really make the identify spell a lot more important to the wizard in the party. Yeah. And I mean, you don't have to throw massive curses at them. No, they can just be fun, dumb curses, but it really starts to impact the party when everything seems to have just a slight drawback to it. And it might be kind of cool if you could, say, remove curse. Yeah, like you got itchy eyes or juice leaking out of your ears. (laughs) (laughs) I think this also applies to adding more items that don't require attunement into your game for those identify casters. Because if you do that, then when they cast identify midway through an adventure, somebody can use the item before a rest. Yeah. Because if all you're introducing are attunement items, then they cast identify, and then, okay, well, we still need to wait for a rest to be able to attune to this item. So really identify just gave the players some knowledge of what's going to come later. Yeah. And that's all kind of following the rules of D&D and how to make things more interesting with that. But I think there's also some ways to... Add a little bit more juice to these spells and abilities if you, you know, think outside the box a bit. Yeah, let's explore some new applications. I think you can hide a lot more secrets and information behind magic, and that'll, again, make that caster that's using detect magic feel like a badass. Okay. Like, a lot of the time there's information that I want the party to have, but I want them to discover it in a way that suits their character or is a choice that they've made. So it's easy to wait for them to take some action and then put the information there. Okay, yeah. So with this, I mean, you could have a magical ink that can only be read with detect magic. Yeah. You could let it detect magic that's been cast here within the last 24 hours or week, something like that. Sure. It could even detect the magical creature residue in an area. What's been through here recently? Or even the last wielder of the magic item. A residue that they left on the item. You can sense a presence. This is kind of cool because now all of a sudden you're turning the detect magic spell and your wizard into a bit of a magic bloodhound. Yeah, and I really dig that vibe. Like, this makes me think of video games that I've played, like the Witcher when he goes into his Witcher senses and he's investigating, or Batman. It's almost the same mechanic. But it's like, this is your magic detective at their best. Let them have this moment. You've got the rogue for everything that you can see. You've got those high investigation skills for everything that's physical and can be touched and tasted and sensed. But then you've got your wizard for all of the other magic detective work that needs to be done. I love that flavor. I think that there's a lot of potential, depending on how much effort you want to put in, to flavor these magical sensations. So Detect Magic says you see a faint aura around any visible creature or object in the area that bears magic. But in my opinion, the flavor text can always be thrown right out the window (laughs) and rewritten however the hell you want. 
you can kind of do this pre-planned or on the fly if you at least have like an avenue that you're going down with it. You know, naturally you think you're going to see colors around the items or people. Sure. But you could hear sounds, you could taste flavors, or you could get even weirder and have schools of magic that come to the caster as sensations, perhaps uncomfortable feelings. Oh boy, I don't like where this is going. <laughs> Too late, we're on the train and you're coming with. I was going to stop at flavors. This magical sword tastes like chocolate. <laughs> That's fun. But now we're going into weird feelings. All right, what do you got? Well, you could have comfortable feelings too, but of course I'm going to start with weird feelings. For abjuration, you could feel like all of your limbs are waking up after being asleep. Ugh. Like that tingling sensation. I don't like that. I think you have bad blood flow. <laughs> That's for your classic old wizard like Gandalf. I can't tell if it's <laughs> blood flow or abjuration. I can't tell if I'm having a heart attack or there's a powerful staff nearby. <laughs> for conjuration, you could feel like you're walking through a spider web you didn't see. Ooh. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> Divination. You feel like you're losing your balance on a cliff's edge. When your stomach drops, time slows down right before you feel your feet slip. I nearly fell down right now just thinking of that. Oh, it's bad. For enchantment, maybe the pain of your eyes adjusting to a bright light when you came out of pure darkness. Ah, yeah. I like that. For evocation, like a pin has pricked your skin, but all over your body, Ugh, all at once. No, 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 no. jarring. We're back to awful. Yeah, found it. For illusion, when you think there was one more step on a staircase <laughs> and your body lurches uncomfortably. Yep, know that all too well. Oh, that nasty illusion. For necromancy, that feeling of aggressively waking up when you were in a half-dreaming, half-waking state. This, let's just call this segment Uncomfortable Feelings with Jordan. How about that? Yeah, I would like that to be a regular segment well what's the final one for <laughs> transmutation this is the one to put the cherry on the cake yeah uh, the watery sensation you get in your mouth the moment before you spew oh that's just ah <laughs> uh, we're canceling the podcast <laughs> and i'm starting a new one called uncomfortable sensations <laughs> <laughs> well you can subscribe to that one if you want to hear jordan talk more about awful things just talk to guests that have experienced them moving on fine the last thing we can really jump into is introducing a combat complication yeah because we kind of said that these spells don't really belong in combat usually but i think they can add some different combat objectives something else for your caster to do mm. like this one comes to mind introducing a needle in a haystack situation that would take a long time to solve for anyone else, but the caster that can cast Detect Magic is going to solve it in a real quick. So, for example, the orbs of Fireball have scattered into the dark swamp while the party is fighting with the Troll Whisperer, <laughs> who's taken over in these parts. Okay. So, if the wizard wants to use that Fireball spell, they can dive in, cast their Detect Magic, and immediately find those orbs. Ah, okay. Otherwise, you know, nobody else is going to be able to dive in there. Yeah, it's too thick, too muddy, too gross. You'll never find them. Yeah. Got it. You could also do something like 
trying to find the person that is casting a spell on themselves to disguise themselves in a crowd. This happens a lot. Whenever you have the chase scene, you always have somebody duck into a crowd. That's a great use for this. Very much that Assassin's Creed vibe. Yeah. And sure, there might be some more magic happening around the area. But this is where the wizard is doing the like direction for everyone. No, no, go over there. I feel something over there. And you go over there. He might be over there. I'm detecting five or six different points of magic. We got to go find him. Totally. That could be a place for an arcana check to determine how many different points of magic they think could be the target. There we go. Now you're mixing detect magic and arcana together, trying to concentrate on all this stuff going on. This is where the caster is really going to start to shine. Nice. Well, hopefully that clarifies the difference between these commonly misused and misunderstood spells. But don't worry if the next time you sit down, you have no idea what the difference is, because we won't either. (laughs) We don't remember anything we say. It's in one ear and out the other. Well, let's move on to the next segment, Millie's Shop of Wonders, where, Travis, you came up with something kind of fun revolving around these spells. Oh, I'm cooking up something good. What magical trinket can't you discover among the shelves in Millie's Shop of Wonders? Okay, so here is a scenario. A player at the table says, I want this magic item. Somehow, somewhere, they got their hands on your dungeon master's guide. (laughs) And they went through all of the magic items. And then inevitably, they're going to say, ooh, that is cool. I want this. Yep. So now, as a DM, you're faced with a couple of options. Option number one, the magic item that they want is in the next room. Mm. Well, I got it, but it kind of breaks the immersion somehow. Just sucks. Option number two is the magic item that they want is at the store. They have to pay for it. That's fine, I guess. Feels very anticlimactic. Yeah. And option three is the next hefty baddie that they fight had it on them, I guess. That's the best one so far, I think. At least as a challenge I've got to overcome. Yeah, but what are the odds that that baddie had exactly the item that this player wanted? For sure. It can be done, but again, it kind of breaks that fourth wall. So I have a different option for you. Well, they ask around as characters in the town. Anybody... Even the party caster with a decent arcana check or any magical tutor in town would probably be able to say, like, well, have you not heard of the coterminexus? Sounds magical or scientific or the both. Right? Like, we need to go to the coterminexus. <laughs> and you can, in fact, journey to it. What I'm imagining is kind of like, uh, what is it? Cerebro from the X-Men. Totally. Okay. It's at the top of a mountain where it has the best chance of being able to broadcast your signal and find a magic item that exists anywhere on the planet. A wonderful ability to have. Sure. Well, can't be that easy, right? 
Well, first of all, you have to journey to it. It's at the top of a mountain. And maybe, depending on how incredible the magic item is that they're looking for, it's quite a ways away. Then, once they get there, then they have to be able to cast Detect Magic. Not too hard. There's a lot of different classes that can detect magic. Yeah, or they can uh, make friends with an NPC. There we go. If they absolutely need to. Then the next piece is, of course, you need some material components in there. So it requires a glass sphere, and captured within it is a mixture of diamond dust and ethereal spring water from the astral plane that exists only at the base of the mountain. You have to cross from the material plane to the astral plane just to capture it. All right, so we got a bit more advanced casting going on. There we go. Then, if maybe they're looking for a neutral or evil item, they might have to travel to the Shadowfell instead. Okay, get that uh, shadow water. (laughs) Yes, the shadow water. But either way, the spring that this water flows from is dried up at the base of the mountain on the material plane, but it's abundant on either of the other planes. Perfect. Then, of course, now you have this spring water, this magical spring water captured inside this glass orb with diamond dust. Now you have to transport it to the top of the mountain. I'm assuming if you put the spring water in a flask, it's going to go rancid or something. Not going to keep its essence alive because of the orb. There we go. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah. It's easy to spin magic. (laughs) So then there's a lot of industry and entrepreneurship that has sprung up around the coterminexus. Oh, like teachers? Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. There's a t-shirt stand at the base. (laughs) I got to the coterminexus and all I got was... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'm thinking you've got Wilfred at the base, an old warlock or wizard or something like that who's profiting from their ability to cast Plane Shift to get the party to the Ethereal Plane or the Shadowfell. Okay, yep. Just for those that, you know, don't have that casting within their means, still want to let them do it. And they can only do it once per day, and it costs a good couple hundred gold, maybe. Oh yeah, Wilfred ain't cheap. Alternatively, if a player is able to cast Blink, then they can get themselves to the Ethereal Plane, so there's ways around this. Yeah. Then you've got the journey all the way up to the top of the mountain, which if you're an enterprising individual, well, maybe you don't quite have the money to get the components that is required to use the Coterminexus. However, you do have a dagger. And there are people that are capturing this stuff so that they can go locate magic (laughs) items up at the top. So you could just rob them. Oh, yeah. The party is encountering brigands. That makes sense. Then once you get to the top, there's Anita, the caretaker, who is the guardian or the, you know, the person that just keeps the cobwebs from growing all over the coterminexus in between uh, seasons of adventures coming up the mountain. There's got to be magical upkeep that's required. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the last stop for rest and food because it's going to take you a day or two to get to the top of the mountain. Well, there is Anita who's casting Create Food and Water and has a great spot to potentially still steal the required components. So, you know, she's got kind of like that last stop refuge at the top of the mountain, a little tiny place that you can grab a nap and grab a quick bite. This place, like you said, needs some upkeep. And Anita's there 
to feed adventures, but this watering hole at the top is still going to be full of brigands or people that are looking to steal these very precious items. From people that have uh, exerted themselves on yeah. the way up. Totally. Now, when you actually get to use the coterminexus, of course, the water and the orb and the diamond dust are all consumed in its use, but it projects your consciousness to the exact location or thereabouts. So using the coterminexus allows you to project your consciousness near within 30 feet of the location of the item that you're looking for. So it kind of just like shunts you there but it doesn't show you the exact location. So you're saying it's not like pinging on a world map for you. It's, yeah, putting you there. It's allowing you to see where and how and creatures within 30 feet of the location thereabouts of the item that you're seeking. But if the item's like hidden or something like that, you're still going to need detect magic when you get there. Right, yeah. I like this because it can... Open the doors for any kind of adventure you want to run. Like if you had an adventure in mind and somebody says they want this magic item, you just slot that in as the story hook. Like, sure, it could be a dungeon delve and you fight some creatures for it. Or it could belong to somebody in a high up position and you're either going to need to get close to them and steal it or make a deal for it. Like it could be anywhere and you've got a cool hook. Well, you could build this into an entire campaign, or this could realistically be two sessions. Yeah, it's going to be short. You go up the mountain, you figure out where it is, and you go and get it. It actually happens to be nearby. And if you want to run this really quickly to get the new magic items, you can hit these beats pretty quick, but they've still used resources to get it. It's exactly. not free. Yeah. And you didn't just give it to them. It's not just a... It doesn't feel hollow like any of the other approaches that we just mentioned. Yeah. Well, the name is also courtesy of longtime patron and Discord contributor Will HP, so thank you, Will. And thanks to Lila for some of the names of the characters. Very cool. And if you want to help contribute to some of these ideas, we have a Writer's Room channel on our Discord, which is where we get ideas like that from our wonderful patrons. How wonderful and magical said patrons are. A huge thanks to Icy Spiders Where There Are None, Sean J, The Senate, Lucas D, Lila G, The GM Tim, Nevermore, Thomas W, Ty N, Heavy Arms, Eric R, Aldrust, Leprechaun, and thank you again, Will HP. You're all so wonderful, truly. Also, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can join us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can again join that awesome community of players and DMs on the Hook and Chance Discord and seriously get a lot of uh, help and input on your own games from them. They're always oh, willing to lend a hand. They're brilliant. And if you're looking for the link to join that Discord, you can find that at hookandchance.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. And, and if you're about games. to puke, there's magic afoot. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>